figuring out how to make it worth the risk and how to present yourself as if you are ready for action. That's important as opposed to volunteering to take all the notes and to make the coffee. Welcome to the Confident Podcast with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Season five brings us more conversations with fierce female leaders. We'll be tackling a range of career readiness and leadership topics, ranging from defining your career purpose to leveraging your superpowers and exploring key questions like, is it okay to cry in the boardroom? Episode eight. Unlocking Work-Life Wisdom and Conflict Resolution, a conversation with Liz Kislik. Do you know you have a podcast voice? Yes, everyone <laughs> does. Like, what do you mean? I talking that us when we're like recording. You're like, oh, I got better posture all of a sudden. Um, so welcome, welcome, everyone. Hi, Liv. Hi, Mom. So um, what are we talking about in the intro? This is your podcast voice, by the way. <laughs> My podcast voice. Yeah. Okay. okay. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Actually, I think our today's guest has a great oh yeah she, 100%, she yeah she's nailed it um so what do we talk about so we always want to chat and just so people get to know us a little better know kind of where we're coming from and I think the big I news know, you have something that you want to ask big me about and in your life is that you are leaving for Paris tomorrow for study abroad yes um this time on in two days, I will be in Paris, which is pretty exciting, pretty crazy. I'm so excited for you. What an incredible opportunity yeah. just to see a part of the world and grow your life perspective. And Yeah, I feel like this is something that you have been telling me to do since as long as I like this is the one piece of advice that I feel like has been so consistent since my first memory is always you got to study abroad you got to study abroad it's you have to have this and largely because I never had that opportunity and I'm so excited for you but like literally I I keep joking with everyone that I I want to grow up and (laughs) be my daughter because I'm just (laughs) just keep saying that's true um it's just such a fantastic opportunity and I'm so excited and hopefully we can continue the confident podcast even though you'll be on a different time zone yeah you know it's just like six hours maybe you can you know even wake up early get some parisian leaders to interview (laughs) yes i can try we'll see and you can see you can you can podcast in from a cafe while you're while you're drinking espresso and eating a croissant (laughs) you have definitely romanticized my life there already (laughs) all right well let's go this is a great interview today um so let's get into it Liz Kislik is a management consultant and executive coach and a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes. Her TEDx, Why There's So Much Conflict at Work and What You Can Do to Fix It, has received over half a million views. She specializes in developing high-performing leaders in workforces. Liz is the author of Workplace Wisdom, How to Resolve Interpersonal Conflicts in the Workplace, and has taught at Hofstra University and NYU. She received her BA from Yale and earned an MBA in management from NYU. Welcome to Confident, Liz. Thanks so much, Olivia. I'm really happy to be here with you and Sherry. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. Um, I was so excited to get connected, Liz, because your area of expertise around conflict resolution, I think, is something that everyone struggles with, everyone needs to hear, but especially our audience of college-age women, young professional women. So um I'm ready to jump right in. Me too. Um, first question, Liz, and you are a very public figure, so this may be a challenging question for you, but can you start by telling us something that Google or chat GPT doesn't know about you? Oh, but now after this, they might. 
Okay. <laughs> so um, when I was in college, I performed every semester. I had a band. Sometimes I performed by myself. I wrote songs. Uh, I really thought I might want to be a pop star. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Well, yeah. so you were, you were a singer-songwriter? Did you play yes. instruments as well? I played piano, not so well, <laughs> uh, but enough to get by. Uh, sometimes somebody else played and I just fronted. And um, it was so much fun. And it was really part of my persona at that time. Unfortunately, since then, I've lost a lot of my voice. I couldn't do it now, but I enjoyed it. I decided not to pursue it as a career because it seemed like such a bad lifestyle, mm. partially because you'd have to be on the road all the time. And yeah. of course I'm on the road a lot now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Olivia just went and saw La La Palooza. So I know yeah, yeah. it's a good, a good singer. I, you know, be, we, I was going to say, maybe at the end, we'll have you sing a little song. But we'll, <laughs> we, we'll will <laughs> <laughs> no, we will not. No, we will not. We'll see how the interview goes. <laughs> you clearly have pop star expertise, but your leadership expertise also spans a wide berth of topics. Um, our listeners are mostly Gen Z um, or young professional women. What themes do you see with female leaders and or young women as they enter the workforce? It's different now from how it used to be. There is supposed to be more equality, more equity, more sense of fairness, the same kinds of opportunities and the same kinds of support. And there is some of that, but I think it is really important for young women to be savvy about the idea that workplaces are hierarchical, mm -hmm. that they are to a great extent running on power and authority mm -hmm. and that in many ways society's view of those has been shaped by generations of male power and authority mm -hmm. yeah. so I found for myself and I was in college a long time ago that college was a much freer environment where I felt more accepted for my ideas just as I was. But that in the workplace as a young woman, you have to be smart and you have to be savvy and attuned to what's going on around you in a way that I think many young men just don't think about. Hmm. That's such a great point. Yeah. And I, I started my career, Liz, in the 90s, my corporate, my career in corporate America in the 90s. And I can certainly look back and see you know, progress, some of the progress we've made, but yet, but yet I completely agree with what you're saying. And, um, it just reminds me, I recently read this article about how like up K through 12 and even into college that women engage in more collaborative activity, whereas men engage in more competitive activity, which prepares them better for the workforce. Right. So in high school, for example, most of the student council presidents are, are women, um, but, you know, meanwhile, men are out there, you know, hitting each other on the football field, right? <laughs> it's collaborative versus competitive. And the co collaboration is, is an ideal leadership approach, but 
the reality is still shaped by everything you said, which is it's it's more competitive. It's shaped by more male power and authority. So, so what's your advice on that? Like, how do women equip themselves? How do they how do they prepare for that? Well, we could talk a lot longer about that than we have mm. in this podcast. Yeah, right. Just on that subject alone. One of the things I would say is that there is a tendency for men to raise their hands and to apply for jobs, whether or not they have all the qualifications, all the experience that's asked for. They take that risk, that gamble. They don't think they're less because they don't have every single box checked. Women are much more hesitant to apply for anything or to volunteer for anything when they do not feel they have complete expertise to do it. We tend to take less risk in that regard. So if something looks good, the thing is to go for it and to make a case for why you can do it, as opposed to assuming you shouldn't even try. That's one big piece. The other thing that comes out of the school system also is girls are expected to comply more, to be quieter, to behave. It's a norm, or certainly has been one, that boys are louder and you know more physically active but speaking up for yourself is really important. Being willing to take the risk and speak up politely, even sweetly sometimes, because a young woman who comes on too strong can actually be shunned in certain ways. But figuring out how to make it worth the risk and how to present yourself as if you are ready for action. That's important, as opposed to volunteering to take all the notes and to make the coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, yeah. I love that. And I'm smiling to my listeners. Um, I'm smiling because right now what I'm thinking is I'm very proud, Liz, that I've reared a very loud <laughs> young woman. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very proud of that. But I, I such a, such a great point. And okay, so now we have to talk about your TED Talk. I watched it. It was brilliant. It's clearly resonated. It has now over half a million views. Um, And there's so much I want to talk about here. Uh, But you in the TED Talk, you expertly lay out the importance of looking beyond the people involved in, in a conflict to identify and address kind of the underlying pinnings of a conflict. Um. I know this, you can't like sum it up in a few minutes, but like, can you just talk about that TED Talk experience? What, what led you there? Kind of why you think it resonated so much with the, with, with the world um, and kind of what, what is the key point that you want everyone to take away from that? So how it happened was really by happenstance. I wasn't looking to do a TEDx. A good colleague, colleague of mine was approached by this particular Um, institution that was going to host the TEDx. And she wasn't available at the time. And she referred me. So they spoke to me, I said, yes, it was all wonderful. Um, So I was very lucky, because often you have to apply and 
it takes a while. You have to make pitches and, and all this kind of thing. So I think it's a couple of things. One is people are concerned about conflict all the time and at work all the time because, and I'm going to put together the why it resonated with the main point, which is really that workplaces are structured in ways that create conflict. The classic one is that, for example, the salespeople are often in conflict with the people who are the production or manufacturing or service delivery people, because the people who are selling want to say whatever will feel good to the customer, want to do whatever the customer wants so they can make the deal. And that's very different from the needs of the delivery group, where everything has to be standardized and the way we do it. And to please every customer separately is something that most manufacturing or production operations can't handle at all. So the two groups are often very annoyed with each other, right. even though their jobs require them to be those ways. It's not about who the personalities are. It's the requirements of their jobs. It's the structure. So the idea that work has conflict, as soon as you have two people working together, you're likely to have some. The thought that you could fix that, I think the title is appealing because people don't just want to understand the the conflict conceptually, they want to know what to do so that they can make it better. The other thing that happened, I do not know why this happened. The talk got picked up by multiple educational institutions, college classes, um, one graduate program for psychology about conflict or about workplace. And so a lot of students were required to watch it as well. And sometimes they write to me you know, um, and ask about a particular conflict that they're facing. So I, I think it has been practical for a lot of people. Oh my gosh, you're a conflict therapist. <laughs> yeah. You're a conflict therapist. <laughs> you're, you're trailblazing a new profession. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wish that you could say, you know, I wish watching it was enough to actually fix all the conflicts. But it will get it will get you started. But you really have to pay attention to what the experience of the different people are and figure out what gets them to do the things that they do that are so challenging, not just that they do them. Yeah. And I know for me, I mean, the, the aha of the TED Talk is that it's so easy when you have a conflict with another person to be just to think, oh, that person is so bold or that person stinks. Right. But it's like, what's driving it. Right. And right. it's like, what, what's underneath that? You know, right. why are they coming? You know, and that's the aha. And that's the game changer, I think. Yes. We often believe that the other person is against us. Right. We personalize it completely. We're just the other person. <laughs> Right. You know, we're the other person to each other. And once you're in that setup, it doesn't actually matter so much who you are. The setup carries the conflict forward. So being able to step back from that and think about the setup and what can we do about the setup 
as well as what can we do about our own behavior? You really need both parts. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I know I'll be taking like that toolbox of skills with me when I enter the workforce and also for my last two years of college, because as you said, I mean, it was, um, you were talking about the workforce, but it is applicable to higher ed and honestly conflicts that we have in any sort of institution or anything like that. So it's incredibly helpful no matter who or where you are. Think of all those group projects, Olivia. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, oh that's my goodness. Mind. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so you also encourage people to share differing views at work. Uh, you write that unlike in our social lives, dealing with differing points of view is actually part of everyone's jobs. So what do we do when that goes wrong? The first thing is to remember, people are not starting out against you. They come to their view because of what they already know or what they've already experienced. And there's a difference between the first time you're interacting with somebody and when you've known them a long time and you've been around this argument, you know, a dozen times already. So when there are different views, and I'm going to put this in the context of, and when you have to do something together, as opposed to someone you just see over coffee, but you actually have to accomplish something together. What you can do is step back from what feels like it's about to be an argument and think about your shared or mutual purpose, any values you have in common, any goals you have in common. If you start from where are we alike, what do we both need? Just coming to agreement about those things can calm the situation. Take a a group project, for example. You both have the same deadline, the same professor to please. You can talk about your views of that professor and what that professor will want. Or in the workplace, who are we serving with whatever it is we need to do? Is it the customer? Is it another internal department? Do we agree about what those people need? Because if we can agree about those things, then we can think about what's the best way to give it, to get it done, given that we already agree about something. So if you think about creating like a little island of agreement that the two of you can stand on together, and then you try to build up the land of that island, don't go for the hardest thing first the thing where you know you have terrible disagreement. Go for all the little things where you agree, and that way you build some confidence in in each other, some trust that you care about a lot of the same things, as opposed to starting from the perspective that this is all going to go wrong. It's all terrible. We're going to disagree about everything. And you go in, you know, sort of loaded for bear, fully ready to have to fight. The thing is to assume that you won't need to. Hmm. Yeah, that's such good advice because you're so right. So often people go in and they're so ready to focus on that disagreement that they know is bound to happen. But like you said, building up those little things is the key. And I think that's an important takeaway for all of our listeners and listeners and for me, um, myself as well. Yeah. And I think that trust is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But let me ask you, because I know you've been working in this space for over 30 years, like you are like the, you know, conflict resolution guru. Um, but now post pandemic in an era where we have, you know, where remote and hybrid workplaces are common, I think conflict takes another twist, right? Because when you're behind a screen, um, I know like for me personally, sometimes I get emails that just kind of you know, hit the wrong way, but I pick up the phone and I call someone and it's like, oh, that's what you meant. That's a fair point. <laughs> but how, what are you seeing now with the trend in conflict resolution in remote and hybrid and any specific thoughts there in terms of how we address conflict? You are really right that remote and hybrid can just make it harder. One of the reasons is because we're not always fully present how many times are you in a Zoom with someone and you know they're doing something else? Right, right. Right? They're not even really with you. So how can you rely on them when you're having a hard time? So all the same things apply. But I'm going to give you one more conceptual thing and then some specifics about the environment. Another go-to is actually asking the other person specifically, tell me which aspects of this are most important to you. If you can come from a context of caring about what they care about, not because you agree, but specifically because they care about it, some of that feeling will come across. They will feel that you are not against them. Okay, so now let's talk about the remote environment thing and the different ways we communicate with each other. So one of the things that you can see, because we're looking at each other, even though the audience won't necessarily be aware of this, there are different times when we each lean into the screen. Mm -hmm. I just did that. <laughs> right? Okay, there are, there are like two main reasons that this happens. One is because you're more interested, okay? If you're curious, you lean forward. When you're with somebody else, if you're curious, your eyebrows actually go up. There are certain tells we have about the way we feel. Those are really valuable because if it's clear you are paying attention, you're not on your phone, you're not typing, you're really paying attention. People feel that. The other thing is, I always, my clients are used to this. If I want to make a big point, I lean into the camera and I look at them like I'm really with them. And then we laugh because it's funny. I make a right. thing out of it. But the idea that it's important to me, so I'm coming closer to you, you can actually do that on screen. To the point, Sherry, about if that email hits wrong, and in workplaces, and it might be text, and it might be Slack, and there's even a greater chance of that. It's not even complete sentences some of the time. Right. Raising the level of communication from asynchronous typed communication to phone is the first one. To getting on a Zoom together so we can see each other might be a next one. In a hybrid environment, saying, Let's do this when we're together. It'll be easier. 
Mm -hmm. is another way. So more closeness, getting as close as you can is one of the things. But the other thing is looking for cues and patterns. So cues, for example, might be, say we're in a meeting and we're all in our little boxes on screen. It's helpful to say, okay, I just have to make a note about that. So it's clear that that's why your head is down and not because you're texting with a friend. Annotating what you're doing so that people come to know that they can trust you to be fully present because you're explaining what's happening with you and what you're doing. They just develop more confidence over time. Mm -hmm. Another thing is to look for opportunities to be together. And this is something that as a new entrant to the workplace, you don't always get to do. It's really on your boss. But if it is possible to have all the in-person work be work that is actually done together, not that the in-person time is spent sending other emails, but that it's used for collaboration and so we can see each other and be together. That's a good way to build people's confidence for when they are not together. If you're in a fully remote role, you have to hope that your management has created an onboarding process where you actually get to meet people via video, but meet them before you have to work with them. Right. Because it's just easier if you feel you have a sense of them instead of worrying about who they are. And even though we may not say that, we may not even think about it consciously, we do. Until we feel we know who someone is, we're more wary of them and more guarded. Those are yeah, incredibly yeah. helpful ideas when working in remote hybrid. And I especially like the idea of annotating what you're doing. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I know like our Live Girl program director, Shamir Holmes, um, she has this great thing where every few days she'll send me an audio message if it's something she's really passionate oh, about or that. something she really cares about because she wants me to hear the inflection in yeah. her voice. And just like you said, elevating the communication when you when you can or, you know, bringing people together when you can, all of that is so helpful. But um, this is such a masterclass. Yeah, I told you, Liz, yes. I told you. Um, I couldn't wait to interview Liz and um, we could talk for so much longer, but I think we probably should transition. Yeah, we like to end our interviews with um, uh, just a couple fun questions for our audience to get to know you better, you know, elevating that communication right there. Um, so I'll start. Um, what's one gender stereotype you want to smash? That women are actually more frightened than men are. I love that. We handle it differently. They are equally frightened. They often don't know it. They think they're angry instead. Mm. That's so true. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So then our last fun question, you can either answer the question or sing a song. <laughs> it's your choice. Um, but uh, who's inspiring you right now? Oh, the two of you are going to like this. It's my son. I hired him a few months ago and he has been so fabulous. That's He's, awesome. It, that is, <laughs> it is awesome. He's doing great work, thoughtful work, 
He takes feedback like a champ. And we've had none of the discomfort of either a new person or somebody that you think you know, and it turns out there are other things going on. Um, and we have great respect for each other. And it is, it's a joy. It's really fabulous. Well, congrats to you, Mama, because there's nothing better than realizing you've raised a good human. <laughs> yeah. Congrats. That's amazing. Um, well, thank you, Liz. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us. And um, we hope that we can stay connected because I know that, you know, our community, the young women in our community have so much to learn from you. And I, I'm I'm already awaiting your next TED Talk and following you on LinkedIn. And we'll include all that info in the show notes. But um, we really appreciate you. So thank you. I'm very happy for the opportunity and you are a wonderful pair of interviewers. <laughs> thank you. My my loud daughter, I mean. <laughs> all right, thank you, Liz. Happy summer.